I got my voice back, at least 90%. And I was also thinking this morning, I was going to say something I forgot. But when we were, I was preaching this morning on all those different prophecies and the scriptures concerning Christ's coming and the Antichrist, I thought about Pastor Poole at Mahopity Baptist. When, we, when I was a teenager, started going there, I think I was 12 years old. And when I went to Bible college and we started having these classes, I, I kept saying, thinking to myself, I know this, 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 because of the teaching. Pastor Pula, when, I, when we first started going there, he was preaching through Revelation. And he just taught and taught and taught. He went to Matthew and all the prophecies of the Old Testament really grounded anybody you know, that cared to listen and learn. So I was thinking about that, um, just the opportunity that we have, and even this, our church, um, the emphasis that we have on the Bible and just teaching, um, people can really learn. And I think they are, and things people are growing. And, and um, Brother Kevin mentioned to me more than once that he has the opportunity every Tuesday night to, to hold a Bible study at a church up that way, and once in a while gets to preach. And he mentioned that he, t- uses, he, he uses a lot of times bases his teachings on the messages that we have here. And so I praise the Lord for that. And uh, let's take our Bibles and turn to Galatians 5. And again, I thank, I praise the Lord for the, the clear teaching of the Word. And it's clear to us, but then I remember that without the teaching of the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't know these things. And so that makes me, that grieves me because of all the confusion that's out there today. It means that people are not listening to the Spirit of God. I don't believe that the Spirit of God teaches ten people ten different things on the second coming or any doctrine of the Scriptures. And so, uh, this, we need to, I, I, pray, I pray that people will come back to the Word of God. There's a tremendous departure. Um, even I mentioned this morning about my wife's sister. Now, she is one person who no longer believes in the rapture and in all these things that... Christians have believed now for almost 2,000 years. Now it's no longer fashionable or whatever to believe these old truths. Well, they're still the truth. And so, um, Galatians chapter 5, there, you want to take a look, but it seems like it's been forever since we've been in the book of Galatians. It's only been two weeks. But Galatians 5, and we have been talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, we're on the last one tonight. So let's look, let's be reminded in Galatians chapter 5. In fact, let's back up to verse 19. Just as a reminder, one of the great things about Galatians chapter 5 is the contrast. Verses 19 to 21. That's what we were. Those are the works of the flesh. So let's go through that. Let's read it. You follow along, please. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. In other words, they're apparent, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Let me stop for a second there. Isn't it interesting that at the, at the top of every list of sins in the Bible, sexual sins are, are first. And it's interesting that in our society, those are the ones that are emphasized as being good. Right? Anyway, and fornication, by the way, is any form of sexual sin, including homosexuality, transgenderism, again, the things that our society puts such a high price on today. Anyway, Lasciviousness, that simply means living without any restraint. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. In other words, the list goes on. 
of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So either they are or they aren't. A lot of people are saying you can do all these things, still be a Christian, still go to heaven. The Bible says you can. Anyway, but, and here's the big contrast, but the fruit of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is living and reigning in our lives and ruling, this is the the outcome. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And since we're on the last one of these tonight, we're going to include that last part of verse 23. Let's pray. Our dearest Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the Word of God. And Lord, I, ha- I would I'd say to Thee tonight that the Scriptures, the Word of God, becomes more precious to me every day. I trust it's the same for everybody here tonight, and certainly for God's people everywhere that ought to be the case. Oh Lord, how precious is Thy Word. I hope that with the psalmist we can say, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. We're thankful for this, these scriptures here concerning the fruit of the Spirit. Pray for the help of that Holy Spirit tonight in bringing forth the Word of God as we look at the precious truth of temperance. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the last time we were together, we talked about meekness. I had to hope to get both of them, but was not able to do that. And so meekness is that humility, uh, courtesy, considerateness. Um, and I mentioned, I'll just throw these out again by way of review. Um, some other ways to consider meekness, biblically, would include submission, surrender, selflessness, and inner strength. Vine's Dictionary puts it this way, it is an inwrought grace of the soul, and the exercise of it are first and chiefly toward God. So meekness is first of all toward God. It is that temper of spirit in which we accept His dealings with us as good, and without disputing or resisting, it is closely linked with the word for humility. Described negatively, meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness, self-interest, or self-centeredness. It is equanimity of spirit that is neither elated or is neither too high or cast down too low simply because it is not occupied with self at all. Now listen, you know very well we, are, we might be living in the most selfish generation of all time. And that, can, that gets into the Christian lives, that gets into church life. You know, and uh, so we, we have to, we, this temperance, meekness and temperance are so, so very, very important. All right? The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am meek and lowly of heart. And so he was the epitome, example of meekness. And so tonight, temperance. Back in the days of Billy Sunday, when he was preaching the gospel, but he was also crusading against alcohol. He was, he was chiefly responsible, humanly speaking, for a prohibition being enacted, being passed. He preached all over the country and, and other places in the world, but he had opportunity. He preached against the evils of alcohol. And as a result of that, around that time, something was born called the temperance movement. And so uh, that is, you know, just preaching to people, pleading with people, trying to get people to give up alcohol and so on. And uh, you know, many, many of you know, some of you might know personally, 
the, the devastating effects of that. Uh, other, others you may have grown up like I did. I grew up in a home with a drunken father. Um, and so I understand all that it did to him and how it affected us. And so I grew up with an with a, just a hatred of the stuff. In fact, in the old days, they called it the devil's brew. Uh, they referred to it as the demon of alcohol. And, and of course, now they've kind of, you know, they, they look at it differently today, I suppose. But still, temperance. Now, obviously, the Word of God has a broader application of temperance. And so, it simply, the word simply means self-control. Temperance means self-control. Now, when it's used as part of through the Spirit, it could be understood as the controlling power of the will under the operation of the Spirit of God. Let me say that again. The controlling power of the will under the operation of the Spirit of God. And so, really, we could say that temperance is Spirit-controlled self-control. Right? Because it's not us controlling our spirit or, or our will, it is the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Well, because it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so we need to understand, and perhaps sometimes in the Scriptures, there was a, there was a method called ascending importance. And so sometimes the word at the end even was even had more weight or even more importance or more emphasis than at the beginning. I mean, they not, may, that may not be the case, here, but it's interesting that the bookends of the fruit of the Spirit, love, and then temperance. Uh, I think it's significant that those two are kind of like the bookends, and obviously our love for God, our love for the Word, love for one another is going to exert a great influence in our life, but so temperance, all right? Um, and so, it is the controlling power of the will, all right? And so, we have, you know, man has a will. We were talking about that a little bit after the service this morning. You know, God created Adam and Eve with a free will. And God has given us, we have a free will. We can make, to a certain extent, we can make choices. We can make determinations. Of course, there's consequences. I was mentioning to, again, Brother Kevin, we're talking after service this morning. And I fully, I believe with all my heart, the only person that had an absolutely free will was Adam and Eve. Because they, they had no sin. They didn't have a sin nature. Um, you know, of course, the, Eve was tempted. You know, you, know how, you know the story. They fell into sin. And so even though we have a free will as such, our will before we're saved is dominated by sin. In fact, they have a little booklet back there somewhere. It's called Man's Will. Free yet bound, right? And we're bound by sin until we are saved, and then we even we still have a will to sin. We have a, a nature, um, you know. And we talk about the sin nature being the the ability to sin, um, and that's true. I, I call the old nature a desire to sin, a tendency to sin. It's not just that we have the ability; we have the tendency, all right, to sin. Um, I remember in high school, we were learning debate. We were learning the principles of debate. <laughs> and we were, and so the topic for debate in our class was, is man basically good or basically evil? Now, I knew, I was already a Christian then, and I knew the answer. So, ironically, I was assigned to take the, take the view and to debate 
that man is basically good. I'll tell you what, that was a tough one. And I said to the teacher, I, you know, I really don't want to do this because I believe that man is absolutely t bad. You know, he tends toward bad. He's not basically good. He's basically bad. She said, well, that's all right. It's good, good practice for you to uh, take something you don't agree with and try to prove it. Well, I had an awful time. Um, and so, you know, there's still, there's still, there is thought out there that mankind is basically good. I don't know where they get that from. And we, we, in fact, Brother Mike and I were talking to some people, and this person was trying to say how the good things that people do. And so then uh, Brother Mike had already talked in the message about, you know, or in the meeting about the 50, you know, being 56 years old and 56,000 sins. And uh, we were talking, and even if it's possible, and it's not, but even if it's possible that a good deed cancels a bad deed, there's no way that, that we've done, that he did 56,000 good deeds, and I'm, of course, 67, so I've done at least 67,000 sins. There's no way I've done 67,000 good deeds. And, of course, they don't cancel, right? And so mankind is basically, basically evil, and we, that, that tendency, that, that proneness to sin, that sin nature is with us. And, Brother, and Bobby, you mentioned about, you know, cementing your commitment to God and accepting Christ as Savior. And you're going to find out, you know, there's still going to be a struggle because we still have the nature to sin. Now that's, and again, there's people out there today who are denying that, who are saying that when you get saved, you don't have an old nature anymore. And that's just, that's just baloney. I mean, all you have to do is look around, right? Okay, so... So let's take a look. So of this, this idea of temperance, we're going to just look at some an application, really. And let's take a look at Christ, the Lord Jesus. He's the great example. John 5, so that when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the earth, did he, did he manifest temperance in his life? Was he selfish? Uh, did he follow his own will? Or did he follow the will of God? Did he deny himself, as it were? Right. Let's take a look. Uh, John chapter 5 um, and verse 30. And again, don't be, I, I'm sure you won't, but don't be like the people that get hung up on these scriptures and think because of what Jesus said, he wasn't God. You know, that's not the point. He was God in the flesh. But he submitted himself totally to the will of his Father and even to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So John 5.30 says, Jesus says, I can of mine own self do nothing. In other words, I cannot act independently. As I hear, I judge. In other words, and, and, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has set me. So there's a good example of what temperance is. Not seeking our will, but the will of the Father. All right, book of John, chapter 6. And verse 38. <clears throat> For I came down from heaven, John 6, 38, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Right? Now, Thousands of people saw the Son and heard Him talk and speak and heard His miracles or saw His miracles, but they didn't do the second part. They didn't believe, right? And so 
It's not enough to see the Son or recognize the Son. We must believe in Him, on Him, to have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. All right, John 8, 29. Let's take a look there. John 8 and verse 29 says this, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So temperance is power over our will so that we do the things that please God, not ourselves. Now, let's go to um, the book of Romans. Again, we're talking about Jesus Christ here. Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. See what the Word of God says here. In fact, we'll back up to verse 1. Romans 15, verse 1. It says, We then, that are strong, that is, those who are mature and strong spiritually, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us, let, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification, for even Christ pleased not himself. Right? Jesus did not live on earth and do the things he did on earth to please himself. But, as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. And so, temperance will lead to reproach. If we, if we, by the Spirit of God, subdue our will and our desires and do the will of God and live as he would have us to live, there will be reproach from the world, sometimes even from other Christians. Now, let's take a look. So, so how, that's how it applies to, to the Lord Jesus. One more very familiar passage, Philippians chapter 2. Um, this is certainly a great, great scripture. We must not, I mean, we know it, we must not allow familiarity to take away the impact of this great scripture. Right? So, one of the reasons that the scripture says what it says about Christ is because the Lord wants us to apply it to ourselves and wants us to live the same way. Alright, so Philippians 2 verse 5, let this mind be in you. And that word mind there means way of thinking, mindset, disposition, attitude. So we're to have the same mind that Christ had. What kind of mind did he have? Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And so that's a difficult uh, phrase to translate to English. Right? But the idea of that translation is that Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God something to be held on to grasp. And he didn't have to steal it because it was already his. Right? So the idea is that he was willing to lay aside some of the, the rights and privileges he, as God, and he came to earth and said, um, who being in the form of God. So he was the very essence of God, but he made himself of no reputation. One of the, temp- one of the ways that the devil deceived Eve was he told her that if they eat the, if she ate the fruit, that she would become as gods. 
knowing good and evil. And so it says, when Eve saw the tree and so on, that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. She ate. She was, she was looking for a reputation. Um, she was looking for honor and prestige. Now, the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, what was the thing? God said, multiply, fill the earth, scatter. In other words, they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to stay here. We're going to build a tower whose top may reach to heaven and we're going to make a name for ourselves. Right? Well, that's exactly the problem. Right? God never made us human beings to make a name for ourselves, but we are to magnify the name of the Lord. We are to glorify Him. Right? And so the Lord Jesus Christ made Himself of no reputation, that is, no pedigree, he didn't come to make a name for himself. He took upon him the form of a servant. And that word, by the way, is the word for slave. And was made in the likeness of man. We, I don't, we, there's no way we can even begin to comprehend what that in itself meant. For the word, which was God, is to take the form of of a servant to be made in the likeness of men. That was, a, that was an amazing humility, condescension, if you will, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The word humbled himself is often is, is the, the emptying of, of himself. He didn't cease to be God, but he laid aside the use, the voluntary independent use of many of his divine attributes. He didn't use his power or his knowledge or any of those things independent of the leading of his father. And he became obedient unto death. Um, even the death of the cross. Which besides being a painful death was a humiliating shameful death. Okay? But he did all that. And then of course this, that's not the end of the story. right? Verse 9, wherefore God hath also hath highly exalted him. And so on. He's been exalted. He's ascended back to heaven. He's at the right hand of God. He's going to be exalted. And so but the, the example of meekness and temperance is epitomized in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? So let's take a look at us. What about, how's the application? What's the application for us as God's people? I just, I just picked, chose three, uh, you know, three passages. And so the first one is found in Luke. Luke chapter 9. We talked about Solomon this morning and how he honestly, um, I don't know, what I would, if I would have been King Solomon, it might have been in his position. I don't know if I would have done any different. But King Solomon blew his opportunity to be a worldwide testimony. And so, and if you want to get that, you read the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, you can read about the kings, how he loved all these foreign women and he built altars and he offered... You know, burn sec, burn, you know, burn offering, you burn, burn incense to false gods, including uh, the, the Shemosh and, and what you know, the ones that Molech and the ones that required human <coughs> sacrifices. I mean, Solomon worshipped all these, and he totally, for a while there, totally turned away from God. And so he wrote Ecclesiastes after he had gone through that and realized how vain everything he did was. But he, you know, too bad that he didn't learn the lesson. And uh, he, did, he, had, he missed the opportunity. So there are many men in Scripture who live lives of pleasure, 
and self-will and not non-temporal. And so when Jesus Christ was on the earth, it's interesting, in Luke chapter 9, I mean, as he's, he's already going around preaching, teaching, telling people about the way to God, the way to salvation, the way to live, the way to please God. And so the multitudes are there. And it says, he said to them all, in Luke 9, 23, okay, his message to all the people, if any man will come after me. In other words, if anybody wants to be a follower of mine, of me, person, anybody wants to believe in me and be my disciple and, and live for me and serve Christ, Notice the number one requirement. Let him deny himself. Now there's a, there is a good example or another definition of temperance. Self-denial. Right? And our self doesn't like to be denied. Our self fights that. All right? I know mine does and I know yours, yours does too because we're human. Even as a believer. It, we, we, it, we tend, and, and the desire of us, and what's drawing us, is to have everything be about us, all right? Whatever I want, I'm going to get. And, you know, that's exactly what Jesus said will disqualify a person from really following Christ. He says, let him deny himself. Now, the word deny is really, it, it means to disown. It means repudiate. doesn't mean cake pamper or cater to ourself, the opposite, it means to repudiate self. It means to disown self. Don't follow self. In fact, in, in, in Titus it says, same word, um, de denying ungodliness and worldly lust, same thing. Okay. Now, and take up his cross daily. Right? That's death to self. Take up the cross daily. The cross is the cross is one thing and one thing only. The cross is an instrument of death. All right, it's not glorious. Um, you know, it's not something to be proud of. Or it's not exalting. It's humiliating. But he says that's what we have to do. Take up the cross daily. Why? Because it's not once for all. We nail the flesh to the cross, and the next day it wants to jump off and and have control. But so it's a daily thing. Take up the cross daily. Follow Christ. He'll be in line. The idea of taking up the cross is following Jesus Christ, getting in line, heading out to, to be crucified, and then, of course, follow me. And part of following Christ is the idea of, of imitating Christ, living like he did. Right? And then he goes on and explains it in verse 24. For whosoever will save his life, that is, hang on to his, his life, live the way, I'm going to live my life the way I want to, I'm not letting anybody control it. That's the idea, we'll lose that. It'll, it'll, just, it'll just go up in smoke. But whosoever will lose his life, that is, surrender, give up his life for my sake, the same shall save it. All right? So there's a wonderful teaching right there of the Lord Jesus about self-denial. All right, a second one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> A lot of people don't like this, um, but there are rules. We already gave some. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9 makes it even more, even plainer that there's rules for being a Christian. It's not anything goes. You wouldn't know that. You hear a lot of people talk, or even a lot of churches today, 
talking to a guy one time and, and uh, I had just met him for the first time and I found out that he, he was a believer and we're talking about church um, and he said today it's like it's Burger King church right remember the old slogan for Burger King have it your way <laughs> and we're even told today we're supposed to go out in the community find out what the unsaved what's going to take to get them to come to church and give them what they want baloney but that's not right so anyway for a believer, here's what it says. Here's Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all. Now they knew that. Because Corinth was part of, and I can, I have, if I say this right, the Isthmian games. Corinth was on an isthmus, all right? A land, a piece of land surrounded by water, almost. And so they had these games there. And everybody knew about it. Okay, it, you know, a person, everybody I think knows what the Olympics are. And I'm not even, I'm not endorsing, I'm just saying. Just about everybody on earth knows what the Olympics are. Well, Corinth knew about these games. And there were running games. And there were wrestling games. And there were boxing games. And there was all kinds of games, right? So when, the, when he wrote this, they all knew what he was talking about in the physical realm, in the athletic arena. So, know ye not that they which run in a race run all. Obviously, they all run. But one receiveth the prize. Now, each event, whether it be the 100-yard dash, whether it be the quarter mile, the half mile, the mile, the two mile, whatever those events are, there's a winner, all right? And there's a gold medalist. There's one winner, right? So, there's the difference. Paul says that we should be like the one who wants to win the race. He says, so run. In other words, run in such a way that ye may obtain. Okay. Now, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about making the effort to run, um, training to run, but he's also talking about following the rules of the race. Okay. And he goes on in verse 25, and every man that striveth for the mastery, right? everyone, in other words, who competes for the prize, who competes to be a winning athlete, is temperate. There's the word. They're controlled. And I, re and I remember, I don't know if they do this. I, I've asked some kids and they have no clue what I'm talking about. But when we were, when I was in high school, um, I played a did a couple sports and we had to sign and our parents had to sign what was called an athletic code. And that, that athletic code set forth certain rules and certain things that we promised we would not violate. No smoking, no drinking. We even had to be in by a certain time. And all these kind of things, all these, we had to sign this and this is our pledge. And if we got caught violating these, we were off the team. One of the best runners that we that I ran with on cross country, um, I saw him at a football game on Friday night smoking a cigarette. Well, I didn't tell on him because I'm not that kind of guy. I, I, I you know, anyway, um, he got called in, he got kicked off the team. And I said to him, his name happened to be Mike, I said, Mike, you know, I saw you Friday night, I wanted to pour there and rip that thing out of your mouth. He goes, I wish you would have. But he got, you know, it was one and done in those days. You know, you got caught one time, you're done for the year. So, anyway, and so another thing too, 
when we do our when we had our cross country matches, we would well we would go to the away ones. Okay, like I remember my favorite one was Montrose because it was really neat. You had to you had to jump over a fence and you had to run through mud. And there was all kinds of things. So we would get there like an hour before the start of the race so that we could walk the course. Because if you went the wrong way or cut corner or whatever, you got disqualified, right? And there's rules. And so Paul says there's rules for the Christian race, all right? He says, now they do it, that is athletes, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. In other words, perishable, doesn't last forever. I actually... (laughs) Uh, we were going through stuff. Some of the kids were over at our house and we were going through some stuff. And then Jen goes, what is this? She found this thing all kind of crumpled up in this little box. Pulled it out. I said, hey, that's my state championship medal for volleyball. And, and so, yeah, anyway. But I, I said that to say that's the only thing left. <laughs> of, all, of all the awards that we were able to get, they're all gone. In fact, they got, they got thrown away. I came home one night for work and my treasured trophy for the national championship was being used as a doorstop. So I mean, anyway, so but what the point is, right, the Bible says it's corruptible, it's gone, right? I won't, you know, I earned five letters in high school and so you win five letters, you get a jacket. The letters are gone and so is the jacket, all right? Um, I couldn't fit in anyway. <laughs> but so the point is it's corruptible, corruptible, all right? But we, that is the believer, we are doing it, we are performing, we're running to gain an incorruptible, all right? A, re- a crown that never fades away. In fact, it's one of the five crowns, the crown incorruptible. Well, what is it? It's for running the race, following the rules. So what does he do? Paul says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, and I don't know, I, can't, I don't think it ever happened to me, but we, well, we, had, we had spotters along the way to make sure we knew the course. But like, we did have a runner that had a tendency to get lost. And so he, sometimes he'd wander around, didn't know where he's going. Well, that's Paul, Paul said, I'll do that. I don't, I don't run uncertainly. And it's like I'm not, run, I'm not jogging in place, you know, and I'm not, I, I know where I'm going. I know the course. And then he says this, so fight I... Not as one that beateth the air. There's a couple of thoughts there. Paul says, I'm not shadow boxing. You know, there's a place for that, I suppose, where you practice and you get, you know, you get endurance and all that kind of thing. But he says, I'm also, my, my blows are not in vain. My blows adult, as a fighter don't miss the mark. Everything I do is for the purpose of obtaining the crown. And yes, boxing was one of the events in those games. But notice what he says. I keep under my body. I keep under. In other words, I, I hold it down. I discipline. I keep it under control. Now I read that they would wear, uh, or they, they would, when they practiced for boxing, for example, um, they would let somebody beat on their face. That's not very pretty. To toughen them up, they let somebody pound on their stomach and their chest and their, their face so that when they got into the actual ring for the belt, you know, they were tough and they could, they could handle whatever, whatever the, uh, the opponent brought to them. And so he says, I keep under my body, bring it in subjection. Okay. So 
the Christian who is temperate, the Christian who is led by the Spirit of God, is a Christian who is under control. His body or her body does not control him or her. He or she controls the body. Now, it says why? Lest, or because the danger that by any means when I have preached to others, I, must, I myself should be a castaway. Not lost, not go to hell, but be disqualified from the prize. And Paul was really concerned about that. Because I think Paul knew that one day he would give his rewards, his crowns to Christ. Alright, we got we have one more. Second Peter chapter one. I want to just focus or emphasize one particular thing here. Second Peter chapter one. <clears throat> Notice this. And beside this, in addition to what he said in the first four verses about the greatness of Scripture and how it supplies everything we need for life and guidance, and beside this, giving all diligence. See, the Christian life is a life of diligence. It's not haphazard. You know, add, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity. And one of the key words in this, these, these three verses there is the word add. It means to um, supply or support. Um, it's kind of like to nourish. It's almost the idea of somebody who is adding recipe or adding ingredients to a recipe to come out with the right combination. And so I remember one time, poor Jan, I wish she was here. I don't like talking behind the back, but one time, the, the, um, I think the recipe called for baking powder. She didn't have any, so she used baking soil. <laughs> and it didn't come out well. You've probably all done that, right? Yeah, it's, it's almost the same thing. So these ingredients. And so it's, here's the idea. It's like continually. It's not like, okay, I've, got, I've had faith mastered. Now I'm going to add, you know, uh, virtue. And then I'm going to, no. It's the idea these things are in combination being continually added and improved upon. And this is so, so we have the complete Christian. And of course, one of those ingredients is temperance, that, that self-control, right? Now let's go back to Galatians for a moment and uh, just look at one last thing there. And uh, <clears throat> Galatians chapter five, and the last part of verse 23, which says, against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. So a person who is manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, first of all, they will not manifest the works of the flesh. Because in verse 16 it says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Right? Now, so, against such there is no law. Um, on the other hand, the things that comprise the fruit of the Spirit. Remember the works of the flesh, they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the things that comprise the fruit of the Spirit violate no law of God. The law holds no power nor condemnation for the believer who follows the leading of, of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit to produce these qualities in his or her life. The error that was being spread in Galatia was that of trying to mix grace and law. Right? Of seeking to be saved by grace, kept by doing the deeds of the law. 
And so they were they were among the ones, and the, the, the term for that is Judaizers. They were trying to tell the Galatians, just like they were trying to tell the Hebrews, that you had to keep the law in order to be saved, and, and all those things. And so Paul says, no, no way. If we walk in the Spirit, if the fruit of the Spirit is their life, there's no law against that. We will never violate the law of God. And so that Paul was trying to convince and comfort these believers who were being pulled into going back under the Old Testament law, the Old Testament system. God gave us the Holy Spirit to produce in us those things that please God. A person whose life is controlled by the Holy Spirit obviously will not lie, steal, murder, commit adultery, covet, worship idols, or anything uh, that is against the nature, law, or will of God. So, praise the Lord for that. The Holy Spirit guides us. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we could have in the Word of God, and we're thankful that we are not under the law, but under grace. And that, and as it tells us in Romans, that the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we're thankful for that, dear Lord. Thank you that. That we can have that life, we can have that righteousness day by day as we deny ourselves, as we take up the cross daily and follow Christ. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're at hymn number 393. 